Want to advertise your business in a cost-effective way? It's time to give podcast advertising a try. Research shows a high rate of podcast listeners made a purchase as a result of an ad they heard on a podcast. Visit podbean.com slash brands to launch a cost-effective podcast advertising campaign in minutes. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash brands. I'm going to crack it today. I'm going to fire it in This is Martin House Pills. Where is this from? Austin? Where's Martin House? What is that? Beer aisle, bro. I'm tired of getting shown up a Wheeler. So they got a, a Voodoo Ranger American Haze IPA. Um, this, I, here, I just got this one. I'm going to try this one today. What is that? Saloon Juice. Made in Texas. There it is. It's <laughs> great. <laughs> Saloon juice. Right? Who names these things? I know, right? So I'm not letting you show me up today, bro, with my Heineken and my Sapporo and <laughs> <laughs> corporate guy. Yeah, you're just into big beer. Big beer. Welcome to Yolitix, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics. All right, you know what I'm tired of? I know what you're tired of. I'm tired of <laughs> I'm tired of getting blown away when it comes to beer selection for every podcast. So, so my wife goes to the grocery store. She picks up Heineken. She picks up Sapporo, uh, maybe Miller Lite for guests, things like that. Wait, why do you, you why do you in, give Miller Lite to the guests? Why not Heineken and yeah, Sapporo for I, them too? Uh, no, that, that's that's premium. That's, <laughs> imports, imports, my friend. And then you come you come at the game with like uh, you know. Uh, armadillo juice, uh, you know, th- this the most insane Texas beer. I thought you called I, it armadillo I, I, piss last time. Well, no, I, I don't recollect that, but um, <laughs> I did have one that had but an you, odd name like that, though it was a buffalo something, buffalo butt. You kill me on this, yeah, buffalo butt yeah. from uh, from Fort Worth, from RAR, That's right. right? So I said, you know what? I'm, I dropped my kid off at school this morning, and I go beer shopping like at eight thirty in the morning, which I'm, I'm sure is kind of odd. Keeping to start it classy with, there, yeah. I am my friend, and I go and I pick up a whole a, a flight, a, a six pack. Gosh, what have I started uh, here? I didn't mean to. I, I did not mean to make you insecure about beer selection. Well, Mrs. Wheeler needs to start shopping for Mr. Whiteley too. It seems like, uh, yeah, because uh, that's what's going on. She's the one picking. So I. Uh, <laughs> so I picked up the Martin House Pills from uh, Fort Worth. Okay. I picked up a favorite of mine, Fire Ant Funeral. Oh, yes. This is a Texas ale that. project. Yeah. Longtime fan of the uh, Amber Ale from those folks. Uh, Texas Lager. This is from Community. Okay. Uh, brewing Company. And then since uh, I enjoy marketing as well, too, uh, this one kind of got me. Saloon Juice. Saloon Juice. You've got to drink this that one is, today. This is Oscar Blues. This is uh, they have a couple offices across the country, but they have one in Austin, Texas too. So I'm cracking open the saloon juice. Yes, that sounds as like we something look you at what's going to happen. I yeah, I think I think Texas could use some saloon yeah, juice, especially these days. Uh, so I I was a little intimidated because I knew that you had upped your game. So I brought two. I didn't realize you were going to bring like eight beers. Um, and I brought the. <laughs> I'm only drinking one though. Yes, man. I'm, I'm drinking one. Of course, that's what that's the official word anyway. Uh, and the last time I introduced you to that that uh, Bishop Cider Company, uh, the peach or rather the iced tea, the Texas tea, which is really yeah. good. I've also got the peach tea here, uh, and 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 this one is equally dangerous in that, especially on a hot day. You just you know it's like you're just having a a, a can of tea, and it's not just a can of tea. Uh, but then I'm also going to try this today. I don't usually do a cider. This is a Texas craft cider from Bishop Cider Company called Crackberry. We're going to give it a shot. Today. Nice. Nice. Are you having two beers today? No. Uh, no. Oh. You know, I never even I never even finish one. I usually drink half of it, and then it gets a little bit warm, and I don't want anything to do with it after that. Unless it's so, that tea one, and I tend to put those away much faster. And, yeah, that's why I say they're dangerous. We, uh, yeah, no, we, we, you need a beer for uh, all the anxiety uh, that's building up around Tuesday yeah. and what might happen on Wednesday if the count goes into Wednesday. Or Thursday, or Friday, we don't know. Yeah, so that's why I got six beers, Jason, <laughs> one for each day of the yeah, week. Yeah, pace yourself here for sure. I, 
I can drag it out. So I, I just want to ask everybody out there, how are you feeling? Because, you know, there's a, it's, it's exciting, you know, when we get to these elections. Uh, but it's also, I, I think that this year, I, 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 from people I've talked to, you just detect a whole different sensation beyond it's exciting or I want this over with. There are, it, it seems like people have this whole range of emotions from fear anger, anticipation, uh, almost a panic with some people, uh, an obsession. Uh, so how are you feeling, Texas? Because uh, it matters. I, th- I think that the, 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 the country's eyes are going to be very much on Texas this time around when they usually are not on election night. Yeah. And for this episode, we're going to talk to three political pros, uh, three journalists, We've been watching the state for years, years and years. And um, we're going to ask them, what are they watching for on Tuesday night? Because everyone's interested in the horse race, interested in what happens with the presidential race in Texas, with the presidential race nationally. Uh, Also interested in the MJ Hagar, John Cornyn race. And then what happens with the Texas House? But let's chat with these journalists. And we have one on the line now. Uh, Chat with these journalists about what they think might be most important come Tuesday night. Abby Livingston, you've heard her on this program before. She's joined us on Yolitics. She is with the uh, Texas Tribune, the D.C. Bureau Chief for the Texas Tribune. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really want to know, Abby, how are you right now? I'm fine. It's got to be nuts in your world, though. It's... I'm hanging in there. (laughs) It's it's fine. Running on fumes yet before we even get to the day? Exactly. You're already on fumes. So um, let's talk about what's going to happen on Tuesday night, what what people think might happen on Tuesday night. What's the one thing, the one one race you're watching for um, from your vantage point there in D.C., Abby? Well, I, my first passion is U.S. House races. Um, that's my background before I came to the Texas Tribune. So it's sort of a unique interest, whereas I think the national folks and probably a lot of Texans will care about the presidential and the Senate race. But um, what I find fascinating about this U.S. House map is it was drawn in 2011 for one purpose, which was Republican incumbent protection. And the map has, because of demographic changes and I think in some ways the election of President Trump has sort of um, scrambled Texas politics. There are a lot of seats in play, including in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, but also down in Houston and suburban areas in Austin that um, Democrats have a real shot at. And um, I think the most likely thing is Democrats will likely pick up a couple of seats and that's far more likely than the statewide contest and um, that could have ramifications going into the next decade and also just the state house i think that is the most fascinating contest even though i don't carry that democrats have a pretty good shot at recapturing that chamber abby which seats are most vulnerable uh which congressional seats in texas are most vulnerable and and what are the impacts this could have for the next decade so um two things can happen here so uh, to backtrack to the state house That has become a nationalized cause among Democrats in a way that it was completely ignored in every single state, every legislature in 2010. And Republicans had really launched a sneak attack and were able to redraw the maps in the next decade to their benefit. Um, Eric Holder and President Obama had this huge plan to um, challenge state legislatures. And um, if they're able to capture the Texas State House, it doesn't mean Democrats will really get to draw the maps. It'll just mean they have a little more power than in the past. The two most vulnerable, um, so you have that factor, but also if these demographics stick, which we don't know, we won't know till 2022 if these these changes are all about Donald Trump or if this is a realignment, um, even if Republicans retain control, they're they're probably going to have a difficult time. They're going to run out of Republicans to draw onto these seats, whereas for most of the decade, there was one competitive seat, Texas 23. I think it's going to be, this is something that's going to stay. Um, it's just not feasible. And um, I'd throw the other two seats. Kenny Marchant is retiring in Texas 24 and Pete Olson in Texas 22. 24 is between Dallas and Fort Worth suburbs and 22 is uh, Sugarland, which was the old Tom DeLay district. Hey, Abby, can you just give us a, an, an indication because you cover uh, Congress uh, there in D.C. And, and 
I'm just curious, are people, how closely are people, we asked you this last time, how closely are people watching what's going on in Texas? Uh, Because the vote here has just been astounding in early voting. Uh, Both parties say that this is definitely going to benefit them when we get to election night. You're going to see them just blow out the other. What is the, what's the discussion there on Capitol Hill right now? Um, it is an absolute national obsession with the state of Texas. Everywhere I turn around, people want to talk about it. Um, it's unfamiliar territory. You had an entire generation of political reporters who've never even covered Texas. Um, and so, you know, the, these reporters know Iowa and New Hampshire and Ohio like the, like the back of their hands. And hmm. the thing about Texas is it's so big, you can't really sit down and explain it in five minutes. It really is something you have to master. Um, but we, we looked at our traffic over the weekend and the traffic is just completely crazy on the Texas Tribune side. And it's um, it is a national obsession. So there's a, an absolute national obsession with Texas. Are, what's the thinking or is it is are they thinking it might go blue? It might uh, it might flip. What's what are people talking about there? Um, so Biden is polling really closely to um Trump all along. And the polls are just undeniable. But on top of that, all of these commercials people in Texas are seeing of state house candidates and U.S. House, these are campaigns. This is infrastructure. This is campaigning that no Democratic presidential nominees had the benefit of. So um, there's he's, he could benefit from a reverse coattails effect. Hmm. Uh, I want to ask you what the what the mood is right now among the the lawmakers and the the people inside their staffs. Uh, what's the mood right now? Because I think that the mood in the country right now, and certainly in the state of Texas, is uh, there is an, there's anticipation, but there's a lot of nervousness too. You know, Democrats understandably uh, apprehensive after what happened in 2016, but you get that sense among Republicans too that they're nervous about how this could go and nervous about. What after the results looks like? Are people going to accept it? Is it going to be peaceful? Um, most shops in Washington, D.C., um, most storefronts in Washington, D.C. have plywood in the front of them. Um, there is a real anxiety in the city, um, and some people are relocating for the election and its aftermath. So this is something being taken very, very seriously. Um, with regard to Texas, um, Republicans tend to fall into two camps. Some just do not accept that this is a real thing and that this is a Republican state and everything's going to be fine. The other camp is deeply terrified and they're enormously frustrated with leadership um, and they're just very concerned that the delegation is going to take some pretty good hits and, on Tuesday. So the big question uh, from that, Abby, is does that split the Republican vote? It, will the vote be split? Will Democrats be able to shave off some Republican voters like the Lincoln Project is trying so hard to do? And we've seen so many high profile Republicans just say, you know what, I'm a conservative through and through, but I I do not support President Trump. I don't really have a handle, mainly because I haven't been in the state of the voter and the Republican voter and where their mind is. And that's unfortunate, but it's the pandemic is why I'm not there. Mm -hmm. But the there is a group of George W. Bush political operatives who've grown up in this era, and they, I mean, a lot of them are working for the Lincoln Project, and they don't like this. And so I think it's more of a a professional political class thing, but there is a very stark divide right now. And it's been there with the state legislature and Joe Strauss versus um, the the Tea Party guys. So it's it's been there all along, but it, it is definitely visceral right now. Well, my question is this, then, if does that stark political divide, does it get papered over if Republicans don't end up losing a lot of seats, if they keep the presidency, if they keep the, their their domination there in the U.S. Senate, will it just get papered over these differences that, that have been had? Or is that still going to bubble to the surface, you think? I think with the U.S. House, which is what I know best, um, they're pretty uniformly pro-Trump in the Texas delegation and basically every Republican. It is now, there has been a process of people retiring or losing re-election if they aren't 100% pro-Trump. That is the million dollar, if not billion dollar question in American politics, but um, that is a bridge burning exercise. Um, um, the, they probably never going to go back and they're not wanted back is what, and they know that. So, mm. well, you said the U.S. House is what you know best. So here, here's a lightning round for you. I want to go through some races. 
Uh, Texas Congressional District Number 3. This is Collin County. This is uh, Van Taylor, the Republican incumbent. He's running as Lulu Cycli. Um this was this was hardcore Republican for years, and now we have Van Taylor, who um, you know, polls show might be in trouble here. Which way do you think this one's going to go? And I have two or three other districts I want to ask you about after this one. Um, so, te- Texas three is one of the most fascinating races, and it's because it's in Collin County. And Colin, I think of as super Republican, and it has moved. The numbers have dramatically moved since 2016. Beto O'Rourke points to the Toyota headquarters that came from California. But what fascinated me with that race is Lulu Sikoli, the Democratic nominee, had a very sophisticated campaign operation. It wasn't well-funded, but she had consultants in place. She was doing polling months ago. And so she's. It, it's a... There's a sophistication in that race and in other races that did not exist four years ago among Democrats. Mm-hmm. Van Taylor is a freshman. If you want to take out an incumbent, you really need to do it your, their freshman year. But he really hasn't done anything to lose reelection. He's, he's a Boy Scout. He's always trying to do the right thing. Um, and so it's – but that – Collin County in the bigger picture is – probably the focal point of all the data nerds. That's their favorite county in Texas. Um, But uh, he's in trouble, but we'll see. I I think most people think he probably comes out okay, but this is a real race. You you mentioned uh, Kenny Marchant, who is retiring uh, over to the uh, west from there. This is Texas Congressional District 24. Beth Van Dyne, the former mayor of Irving, is running against Candace Valenzuela, a, um, a school board member in Farmers Branch. This is Carrollton, Grapevine, South Lake, Irving, Euless. Which way is this one going? Because this is an open seat, and we have been bombarded with TV commercials on this, among other things. So that's a true toss-up. We, you know, we don't really know. It will be an interesting one demographically, no matter what. Um, Texas Republicans, there's one female Republican in the delegation, Kay Granger, and she was elected in 1996 for the first time. So Republicans are really anxious to replenish their ranks with women, which is where Beth Van Dyne would, would help them with that. Candace Valenzuela is would be the first Afro-Latina elected to Congress. Um, and this is a huge race. Both sides really want their candidate to win. They're putting millions of dollars into this. The entire, both parties' apparatuses yeah. are just completely all in on this. I, I have two more, because uh, I know Jason's chomping at the bit. He never lets me talk this long. So. No, and this is it's great yeah, listening. It, it, it's incredible. I haven't been interrupted mm-hmm. yet. But um, <laughs> let me ask you, Abby, <laughs> two, more, two more seats I'm really interested in. Um, up here, Congressional uh, District Number 32. This is the old Pete Sessions seat. This is Colin Allred, uh, a Democratic incumbent running against Genevieve Collins. This is an interesting seat because it's North Dallas. It is a seat Republicans held for a long time. Can uh, Colin Allred hang on or will Genevieve Collins knock him off? I think so. What happens in these races is we're not seeing outside groups spend big money here. And that means they basically kind of think Allred's going to win. But Genevieve Collins has proven to be a good candidate. She self-funded a lot of her campaign. Um, There's some enthusiasm about her, but this may not be the right year. Um, So he'll probably come back. And I think that if he's able to continue to get reelected, he could be a future political star. Last one, Jason, another swig of beer, Jason, while I ask this last question. Texas Congressional District number 21. Um, this is Wendy Davis, the former state senator from Fort Worth. She's running against uh, Chip Roy, who uh, worked for the attorney general's office, worked for Ted Cruz. And for folks who don't know, this is the Hill Country. This is Kerrville. This is uh, suburbs around Austin and down towards San Antonio. A lot of folks are watching this one to see if Wendy Davis can make it to Congress. Uh, and the polls are pretty tight, don't they, Abby? This one is the one I don't have a gut on who wins. It is mm. absolutely tight. And both candidates, at first I thought they didn't fit the district because this used to be a long, like kind of a blue blood Republican stronghold. Um, And Chip Roy is very Tea Party and Davis is obviously now kind of a liberal icon among women. Um, But they kind of do in the sense of Davis is the perfect candidate for South Austin and the San Antonio suburbs, which used to be Republican and is more of a battleground now. Um, And it runs along the west side of Interstate 35 and then it juts out to the west, Kerrville, got the LBJ ranch and that fits Chip Roy perfectly. And so it is the perfect metaphor of Texas where urban suburban clashes with the rural areas. And I, you know, it's anyone's bet who wins that race. 
You know, this all just loops back to how crazy it is that you said that, you know, Republicans drew these districts and a lot of them were safe Republican for so long. But the demographic changes and the population changes have been such that it has undone some of that uh, in in the years since 2010. Uh, Abby, it feels so good to talk again here. I'm just going to keep going. Uh, I, I wanted to ask you, we've heard so much leading up to this election. I think everybody is just fixated on the the presidential election here. Obviously, everybody wants to know what Texas is going to do. But earlier in the night, when we're there in the eastern time zone, everybody talks about Florida, everybody talks about Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan. It's almost like people don't know where to look. What are you going to be looking for on election night when those first results start to come down and and shortly thereafter? What is going to be the indicator for you as to how things might go? Or might it be one of those that we're just going to have to stay tuned a la 2000 all the way to the bitter end? That's a hard question. Um, I think you can watch for Florida, but Florida is the most complicated state. I think most Democrats now kind of, it's gonna be tight, but most Democrats probably would on true serum admit they think Trump's gonna win there. But I don't think Florida is an indicator for other states. Normally that's the one on election night, 2016, my kind of little spot was this district and congressional district in Florida on the um, Southern tip um, I can't even remember the, who the incumbent is now, but um, that was sort of my bellwether. And when I saw that it stayed red, I knew that that the night was going to be different than what I expected. Um, I would probably say Georgia. Um, hmm. I don't know how quickly they count their votes, but I think for a Texan, Georgia has a lot of similarities. It doesn't have the Latino vote that Texas has, but it's got the black vote, it's got the suburban vote, and it's got the Southern Republican conservative history. So however, which way that one's going, I, th- I would imagine Texas has some similarities. But a lot of people are gonna be watching Texas. I mean, I've been getting calls, like they want, they're looking at Texas as the bellwether, in part because it's so fast at counting votes. Like we'll probably know Texas long before we know Pennsylvania. Here's the last question I have for you, Abby. Um, I look at the total numbers so far of early voting. We're, we're a little over 9 million. Um, and a lot of people think we'll have a couple of million on Election Day, too. So if we get into double digits, 10, 11, 12 million votes cast in Texas, no one knows you know, which way this is going to break. But if I go back and look at the Ted Cruz votes he got in 2018, he got 4.2 million votes. You figure there's been you know Republicans moving in. Didn't he get 5.2? Oh, is it was it five point two? Was it four? L- let me go back and look here. Um, I-, I showed four point two. I may be wrong. Abby okay. is probably the I don't remember keeper. <laughs> I of just it. know he won by two point six. He won by yeah, <laughs> by, by two percentage points. But you know, four to five million votes, whichever one it, it is, we're looking at significantly more votes than that. Um, Republicans turn out to vote. Republicans don't sit home in this state. Does this tell you that that? We, we might have uh, be, be on the edge of Texas possibly flipping if we have 11 or 12 million total votes. Are there that many more Republicans that have, that have moved into this state? Here's kind of my, and again, it's every conversation I have with someone in Texas, because I'm not there, I'll say, what are you seeing? What's around you? What's the anecdote you can tell me? And there is so much Trump enthusiasm once you get out of the cities that I think both sides are uniquely enthusiastic and the pat there's no historical pattern to look for at the about this um demographics are changing but there's we've never seen enthusiasm like this um and it's just really hard to glean um and also with the pandemic that shakes everything up and it's you know it's we're very cautious at the tribune about reading too much into these early vote counts because either side may have cannibalized their election day vote Um, You know, there's patterns and it's just one of those things like caution is merited. But um, with this much change, it I'm just kind of sitting on my edge of my seat. And I sometimes wonder, like, is there going to be a random member of Congress we're not even watching who loses? And and that's when things get real, really fascinating on election night. But my favorite word to describe Texas right now is unstable. Like this is just an unstable political world and anything can happen. I think you're so right there. I think all bets are off when we start getting into to turn out like this and numbers like this. And we'll see if, you know, Election Day continues uh, that trend here uh, in Texas. But it's been fascinating already. Abby Livingston, you, you know, this is why we turn to you and apparently why everybody else is turning to you these days, because you know Texas like the back of your hand. And uh, as you said, a lot of political reporters are, are newcomers uh, to the Lone Star State now because it's actually in play for the first time in a very long time. 
Well, thank you for having me. Thanks, Abby. Take care. Y'all have a good night. You too. Thank you, Abby. All right, so let's bring in two more political pros, people that I've relied on for years. Uh, wor- Some of the best, absolutely, too, for sure. Working in, in North Texas, I, I've, I've relied on these two for for context, for perspective, for guidance. We have Bud Kennedy from the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, and we have Bernadine Steptoe, political producer at WFAA. Is this and Bud's not muted? And Bud's right. not muted right now. Bud does has a tendency every time you get him on a Zoom call to be muted uh, right away and <laughs> says like the most amazing things, and none of us can hear it right away. And I do that all the time too. So I feel like we're kindred spirits. And Bernadine, we can actually see you, and it's not like uh, what is that stop motion, whatever that right. well, almost like claymation. Usually we see Bernadine in little spurts because her internet connection is just not helpful sometimes, but. Bernadine's got herself a new Ethernet cable. And is this your? Is this the first time? <laughs> both your first times on Yolitix? This is the first time, and I didn't bring any beer. I'm re- I, I could have brought some uh, some uh, best made pickle beer from Fort Worth. I, that would have been good. You, I want to try the, that. How is that? The Martin House, uh, you know, the Martin House beer, the uh, pickle beer is really good. And then at uh, there's the bearded lady in Fort Worth, just south of downtown. They use the beer to make. Uh, you know, pickle beer queso that's really awesome. Wow. That is going to be people's biggest takeaway from this whole podcast. They, they're they like, you know, reversing it here. Like, wait, what did he say? Pickle beer queso. Where is that bearded lady in Fort Worth? There's a new pickle emporium in South Fort Worth is becoming known as Pickle City. So come see oh your pickle. And, and for people who that's don't crazy. know, uh, Bud not only uh, is a columnist, a political columnist, but he is the food columnist and I always make the mistake of looking at his Instagram feed like at night, like 1130 or 12. <laughs> and I'm like, God, I'm starving now. Pack on some pounds right before bed. That's perfect. You know, uh, I, just so you know, by the I'm way, I'm not alone in that gig. You know, Jonathan Martin from the New York Times came here and wrote about the Heim barbecue bacon burnt ends. And there's a great tradition of political writers who go around the country dining everywhere mm-hmm. they go. Well, I just like I just like to know if you ate too many of them, do you get drunk? it's a good question Bert I I didn't eat enough of the queso to know (laughs) well let's let's dive right into Tuesday night um, and and talk about what you guys are really watching for there are three kind of buckets that we're looking at we're looking at the presidential race obviously in Texas we're looking at the U.S. Senate race the biggest statewide race and we're also looking at whether control of the Texas House of Representatives flips so those are kind of the three we've been looking at and kind of talking about on different episodes over the past few weeks. Uh, Bernadine, let's start with you. What, what are you mainly watching for on election night? What, what's your what's your one or two big things? Well, there are, there are a couple of them. Uh, I'm definitely watching the state, the state house, to see if that will flip because that, that will have a, a lot of impact or influence on redistricting, um, whether or not a, a lot of the things that a number of non-Republicans want done. And then also I'm, I'm watching to see the turnout among black voters, because I think that mm-hmm. um, that's going to have an impact as well. The non, non-white voters, particularly the black, because if you've watched over the, the past year with all the protesting, with all of the, um, the, the narratives about defunding the police. And then if you have a situation or one of the most important elections uh, in our century and you don't have black voters turning out, what does that say? Are they turning out now, mm-hmm. Bernadine? Do you know in any indication? Well, absolutely. Well, look at uh, Harris County. Look at Dallas County. Well, you have a great number of African-Americans in those counties. Those are record uh, turnouts. And and, it is so much in Harris County that you even have Republicans going to the poll, going to the to the uh, courts, trying to throw out over one hundred and twenty thousand votes. So uh, from what we see from early voting, they are. But I think, you know, we've said it before. We've said it before here on this podcast and a lot of people don't know this and don't pay attention to this, but Texas has the largest black population in the country. And that could be a huge determinating factor in this election. If indeed we and see in that turn out. elections. No doubt. Mm-hmm. But, but same question for you. Um, you've watched, you've watched Texas for years. What, what are you watching for an election night? Uh, 701 when the early returns are released. 
I think what everybody's watching is is whether Texas turns blue and whether it uh, turns blue beneath the top line on the ticket. I think we're very easily in a situation where the, the Biden and Trump race is very close in Texas, but Cornyn wins by a point or two. And then we see whether that goes any further down. You know, it's just uh, what is the baseline Republican vote in Texas? Is it 51 percent, 52 percent? And how does that bode for the upcoming elections in 2022? The other thing I'm looking for, Jason, I predicted back before New Year's Eve when we did our predictions for the year that Candace Valenzuela would be the new congresswoman in District 24. I said the Democrat would win in District 24, Mm -hmm. that that district has changed. And I'm looking to see if that comes true. I noticed the Cook Political Report says that race leans blue. You called it before they did. Um, I want to ask this. Uh, So we keep hearing about Collin County, Denton County, and Tarrant County. Uh, For a long time, Republicans have called that their red wall here in Texas, uh, those three big North Texas counties. Dallas has, you know, traditionally gone blue, uh, but those have traditionally stayed red. Well, you know, back in 2018, Beto O'Rourke narrowly pulled out Tarrant County, and it was close in Collin and Denton counties. Are you? Do you think we need to be watching those counties specifically, or or are there other places in the state where you think that we're going to get the indication of what is going to happen? I, I think Collin County is the county to watch. It's th- this election is when Collin County becomes purple and Tarrant County becomes bluer. You'll, you'll see incumbents mm-hmm. lose in both counties. Uh, you 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 will still see Republicans winning t- a lot of Tarrant County, but you see more uh, Democrats winning at the local house level. And, of course, the, you know, the change in the congressional seat. So uh, this is where Collin County becomes the bellwether of the state and how Collin goes, so goes Texas. Let's talk about numbers here for a moment, because Texas Republicans vote. Texas Republicans don't stay home. Uh, Texas Democrats, on the other hand, uh, aren't always motivated. And there are a lot of other Texans, Latino vote, that just doesn't go to the polls. So if we're looking at the total vote, uh, so far, the early vote for the uh, three weeks in October, uh, what a little more than nine million Texans went out to vote, and we've we've heard predictions about election day itself. Maybe another you know one, two, three million people go vote. If we're in a situation where we have you know ten to twelve million Texans voting, the big question is which way is that going to break? And the most recent numbers I can find for uh, how many Republicans vote in this state is the Ted Cruz Beto O'Rourke race. Ted Cruz got 4.2 million voters out. And you think in two years, you know, you've had, you know, people move in to the state. You've had 18-year-old people become 18 and register to vote. So if the Republican vote is guaranteed at, at 5 million, 5.5 million, and we have 11 or 12 million voters there that, that are, are voting, what does that tell you? Well, there, there are more Republicans in this batch of new voters, too. The real question is, you know, how many Republicans trickle over to the Biden side? We're seeing that Republicans have an advantage in the early voting. They probably have at least a narrow advantage in the the, uh, the new voter registrations because so many Republicans have moved to Texas for jobs and for low taxes and for opportunity. But what's happening is that the Republicans will lose a point, a couple of points. The, uh, the, the exit polls of early voters show up to 6% of Republicans voting for Biden. And so, you know, that means that Republicans in Texas could, you know, the, the top of the ticket, uh, Trump is not holding on to Texas Republicans, women, as we know, we've discussed. And so two to three points, uh, the, the rest of the, of the state may stay Republican, but Biden might carry the state. So is Texas blue then if Biden carries the state? That'll be the argument. I, I don't think Governor Abbott will feel that way, but it's coming up on 2022. And, you know, Texas will be bluer than it was in 2018. And with uh, more blue on the way. Bernadine, what do you think? Bernadine, you've been covering politics in in Texas for a very long time. What are your thoughts on that? I'm not really sure that it's going to turn this election cycle, but I think that it is on its way. I remember back in uh, when Dallas County turned uh, Democrat, turned blue when it was solidly red. And the thinking was that it would never turn. Hmm. But after each cycle, It eventually did. But you know what? And I'd like to say something also about uh, the Republican vote. Keep in mind, in Texas, you don't register. That in order to determine whether or not you're a Republican or Democrat is is primarily done during the primary. 
So in the general election, you can have Republicans who, who would, who would uh, be determined as a Republican from their vote, and the primary could be going over to the Democratic side. So I really think that until mm -hmm. we really have that vote, and, uh, and, and uh, the, we will know where that voting is, because the Democratic vote is growing. The Republican vote is not. So while Texas, and keep in mind too, that Texas has always been considered a low voting state, not necessarily a solid red state, but a low voting state. So mm -hmm. we can see some changes. And, and, and as you say, the Republicans obviously are nervous because they're fighting so hard in the courts. Why would you try to go ahead? Oh, I, I, was, I, I was just going to say, uh, let the record reflect that that was Bernadine's first. <laughs> you know what? When Bernadine says, you know what? It is, it, it trains the mind. You have to stop and really listen to what she's about to say there. But Bernadine, so you don't think, though, with all of that said, that, that Texas will go blue this time, that, that, that it will the go The only blue. reason I'm saying that, the only reason is that... Um, that trans when you're when you're having the Republicans who might vote uh, for a Democrat or whatever, you still have your uh, governor is Republican. He's not on the ballot this this uh, this election cycle. So uh, you're going to I think that you're going to see a huge number of, of Democratic votes, but I wouldn't term it as Texas being a blue state yet because you still have your top state elected officials are Republicans. Ah, okay. So you do think that there's a chance, though, that Biden turns it uh, in his favor? I'm smiling because <laughs> I really, I really think, <laughs> I really think so. But uh, I'm cautiously thinking so. But these numbers, look at the, look mm. at the new voters. Look at the voters who've never voted before. And then look at, at Collin County, the percentage of early voters. And uh, when I was looking at a poll last week, a couple of weeks, you had uh, like 30 percent of, of new voters are young voters. And it would take a stretch mm -hmm. of the imagination to think that those voters are voting Republican. So um, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I'm just I'm just I'm just I'm just. You know what? You you look at there. There I go again. <laughs> listen, everybody, you listen. You look at the trends, <laughs> and each election cycle, the, uh, uh, the the narrative is okay. Texas is getting ready to turn blue, or, or or purple, and it doesn't happen. And that's the only reason I'm being cautiously. Bud's even more cautious than that, but you're exactly right. We've talked about it cycle after cycle after cycle. Bud, let me ask you. If, if we look at 2018 and you have a dynamic candidate in Beto O'Rourke who just completely right. energized Democrats, if you look at 2020 and President Trump is not very popular in this state, the, the largest Republican state, if Democrats can't win with both of those, will Texas ever flip back and what in the world would it take for that to happen? Well, I think what you're looking at here and what Democrats are counting on is the the uh, you know the way they built from the bottom up. Uh, it wasn't Beto. It wasn't really about whether Beto won in 2018. It was the 90 million dollars that he spent putting structure in place across the state. It's the same structure that they're using this election and building on. So you know, no, I mean, uh, uh, you know, the, the, there won't be, there may not be anybody uh, you know, with bringing the energy to the race that Beto 2018 or a Trump re-election 2020 did. But you have Democrats having organization and structure for the first time. I mean, there is no Democratic Party organization in most of the state. You know, that's that's had to, to be built from scratch. Even the Democratic Party in some of the urban counties wasn't very effective. So now the Democrats have come in. Their whole purpose this election is not to turn Texas blue. Their purpose this mm -hmm. election is to flip mm -hmm. the Texas House. That's where mm -hmm. they've done all their work. You saw better work block walking in, in Tarrant County. Uh, for uh, for for House and and for in the Dallas area and, and in Houston area, you saw him out block walking for House members, not for himself. He wasn't block walking for Joe Biden. He was block walking for Democrats in the Texas House. Mm -hmm. That's what the whole uh, you know point has been to build from the bottom up. And so when you get to election mm -hmm. day, 
we get to this uh, situation. Usually on election day, we say Republicans turn out more than Democrats on election day. But when you have a, a, a local race and local candidates are really striving hard to turn out every last voter and to win down to the wire and the churches come out and the young people come out and the civic clubs come out and everybody pulls together, the Democrats are pretty good at that. And they, mm -hmm. so the Democratic organization will give them some advantage in the cities on election day mm -hmm. to counteract some of the great overwhelming you know, 90 to 10 Republican turnout that's going to come out of rural Texas. You know, Beto O'Rourke fell short, of course, in 2018, but uh, Bud, he famously did uh, win the vote in nine different districts uh, that uh, are held by Republicans right now. House seats, Texas yeah. House seats. 32 um, counties. He won 32 counties that are represented by Republicans. So and and they think that those uh, you know, Democrats think that they can if they can flip nine seats they've got control of the Texas House for the first time since 2002. Uh, they're targeting uh, a, a number more than the, those nine seats, of course, this time around. Uh, can they get there though? Because Democrats have to defend some seats that they won the last time around as well. I think it's heavy lifting to get there. I know in Tarrant County, they're counting on flipping five seats in Tarrant County. <clears throat> I think they'll flip two or three. Um, hmm. I think that it's a long way to get to nine, but if they get to seven, if they get to eight, uh, and then they, they uh, have a stronger say-so with a speaker, they have a stronger say in the speaker's race, a moderate Republican speaker will want to build consensus uh, like the uh, previous Republican, like, like Joe Strauss did. Uh, you might get into a situation if it's a one-vote margin where any Republican could uh, say, okay, I'll help the Democrats and in exchange for being speaker. And so the, uh, and then you have the situation too, that you might have an, an opening. You have one race still, still to be decided after this election, you have a special election uh, in, uh, in a North Texas district that, that uh, may remove a, a house member for a while. So uh, the Republicans, if it gets down to one or two vote margin, there are a lot of crazy things that can still happen. Oh, and so Bernadine. A lot uh, of crazy well, things. And we're still seeing happen. some of them now. But I think that, that Bud is definitely correct in the smaller the margin, the better for the Democrats, even if they don't win all of those seats. But you see too many Republicans on the defense. So uh, I think that they also see that these demographics are changing, that you can't continue to govern the way that you've always governed. You know, I, I was wondering, and I think last week he surfaced. Because I was wondering, where, where was the lieutenant governor? You know, because you didn't see him as prominent during the last part of this cycle. Where was he? And, I, and he sort of surfaced on one of your conservative radio stations, still talking the same language. You know, they were going to win, that uh, they're two to the left. Well, people are not necessarily concerned about left and right now. They're more concerned about issues, the pandemic, and you don't see enough Republicans talking about that. But but I think the, the, the mere fact that you don't see the lieutenant governor as as prominently uh, campaigning and doing those things. And keep in mind, he is Trump's captain for Texas. But I think that uh, it will give them more more say and more influence when we get into uh, so January, we get into the uh, redistricting and somewhat. So, well, Bernadine, let me ask you, what, what's the strategy behind uh, Dan Patrick, lieutenant governor, not being out there? You, you think he hasn't been invited out there? You think, think he's laying low for other reasons? You think he's well, busy doing work Well, he could be doing what? some grassroots work, but this is not like the governor in, in very competitive races. But I think also, keep in mind, he, when, he came, when the pandemic was raging initially, he was uh, saying that older people didn't mind dying. So can you see a, a Democratic candidate putting that in an ad, especially if he surfaces and he's out there campaigning? So I think now he could be just mm -hmm. as toxic as your president. So um, that that mm -hmm. to me, that's uh, telling as well. And how and, and if you look at the not only the House, but the Senate, when they're trying to get legislation done, I think that you're going to have to reach across the aisle more because in Texas, you've never had campaigning like this, that you cannot govern. 
You cannot mm -hmm. continue to govern trying to only reach out to your base. I was going to ask that since you bring up the lieutenant governor. This is my last question for, for you both. Um, I hate to bring this up almost because, you know, we've been through so much leading into the 2020 election. But since things have gotten so contested, so tight here in Texas, and both parties are really feeling that energy, uh, has the 2022 campaign started already here in Texas? Are they already really getting into this and looking at this in position? It starts Wednesday this? morning, Jason. Wednesday morning. <laughs> Is that right, bud? <laughs> well, we can talk about the, the state races. And, you know, if you want to talk about uh, Beto against Alan West or whatever you, you, you want to talk about, you know, there will be some, some activity. But what really starts uh, Wednesday morning and what's really begun, what, the fact of the matter is the 2020 election is never going to end. What we're in a situation will be, uh, if you know Joe Biden is elected president, we'll be in a situation like in 2009, where as soon as Barack Obama took office, you saw the organizations of the Tea Party, the uh, militia and Tea Party protests, the town halls, the screaming, the, uh, the militant protests against uh, over, over health care, uh, you'll see the immediate uh, the growth of a of a new Tea Party like movement that's a backlash, and so you'll see the uh, you know, kind of things that happened in 2009 with the rise of the Tea Party, and you'll see the, all these uh, Trump trains and, and Trump trucks and Trump boat parades. Uh, you know those folks are 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 not uh, going to calm down all of a sudden. I mean, you're going to see this intensified effort to disrupt anything that Democrats might be doing. And to uh, and to try to uh, make a dramatic point, and also to pull Republicans further to the right. Um, the the Republican Party. Uh, we have a situation now where the people in both parties, activists, both parties, are trying to pull them further to the margins. And so the, uh, but basically, you have 2009 all over again, and you have the just the the uh, the, the 2020 election goes on and on and on with these kind of uh, protests and rallies. And I don't think Trump's going to suddenly quiet That's a good down. Point, Bernadine. Either, I mean, so. what, what, let's say uh, Biden defeats uh, President Trump. Um, his supporters aren't going well, away. Well, what makes us think the Democrats are going away? See, keep in mind, one thing that the Democrats have is a Biden candidate who wants to be more low key and wants to say that I'm going to unify the country, I'm going to unify the state. But what happens when you get uh, elected officials who are not uh, saying that, you know, you have it's not it's not covered as much, but I get a number of emails where and texts where you have African American men are armed. I uh, where they're come they're pulling out their mm. guns as well, but it's just that you have a candidate now saying mm. we need to unite. So what happens on Wednesday? when you have the uh, far right coming out with, with their protesting and their guns, you're going to have far left as well. So it is not going to bode well for Texas or the country. How many guns do you have, Bernadine? Well, we certainly hope for peace when it's all said and done. But, uh, you know, we just did that podcast uh, a week ago about uh, the gun yes. and ammo sales See, just going through the roof. Uh, hopefully this is a peaceful process. Yeah, the, that was great. I talked to militia members who are you know, the ones who were in Fort Worth uh, a couple of weeks ago, tried to have a big rally. They're connected to the Michigan group and they plan to be in Washington this week. So, yeah, um, but, but they're, see, they're, what, what is on. not covered as often is you have black militias, mm -hmm. too. So um, and they and, and they don't get as much coverage because, see, their belief is if they go out there and shoot somebody, they're going mm -hmm. to jail. So you have their their their. Um, they're they're arming themselves as well, and they are they are very prominent in certain areas, and they're patrolling their neighborhoods. You even when you go into Detroit and Chicago and Texas, so uh, we put all our focus on the uh, far right, but you have far left as well who are going to defend their neighborhoods as well. Well, let's hope things uh, don't get to that level at all, and. The results are clear on, on Tuesday or Wednesday or whenever it happens. But 
I'm hoping to for, I'm hoping for Y2K2. You know, we all went nuts getting ready for Y2K, thinking it was going to be the end of the world. And then the next day, the sun rose. Everything went on as normal. Computers didn't all shut down. Yes, Bernadine's uh, internet service was still terrible, but it's better now with this Ethernet <laughs> cable. So I think all's going to be well. Let's hope. All right, guys. Let's thanks pray. so much. We appreciate it. Bernadine Steptoe from WFAA in Dallas and Bud Kennedy from the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. Thanks, guys. All right. So, uh, man, a lot there and some sobering stuff, too. And, um, you know, I, I, I should say to you, Jason, in, in uh, full disclosure here, I switched to the peach tea uh, partway through here just because I, I, I'm not as much of a cider guy. Uh, but now I, you know, after listening to all that, I think I just want to eat my feelings and have some of that. What It's queso, dill, dill pickle, pickle queso, queso. From Martin House. Huh? I'm headed to the bearded lady in, in Fort Worth because I, I, I think I might need some. I'm going to go work out after this conversation, man. And this, uh, you know what? The saloon juice is what I had from uh, Oscar Blues Brewery down in Austin. It's a Texas Amber Lager. It's delicious, man. It's awesome. Yeah. Oh, good to hear. I'll have to try the saloon juice out. Hey, everybody. Uh, thanks so much for being in this with us today. And uh, if you haven't voted already here in Texas, hey, uh, let's keep those numbers rising. Let's keep the record going even bigger. You know, turn out. You've got the whole day tomorrow, uh, Tuesday, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. The polls are open. Get in line before 7 and you get to cast a ballot here and make your voice one of the many uh, that is going to be counted this and time. And just like Abby Livingston said at the beginning of the podcast here, it is an absolute national obsession with what is happening in Texas. The nation is watching this to see how close it gets. This is something that a lot of people weren't expecting until they saw that we had 9 million Texans show up to go vote early in those three weeks during October. That's never happened before. Yeah. We surpassed the entire 2016 uh, presidential election uh, vote tally. So who knows what's going to happen so. here? It's going to be a busy night tomorrow night. Uh, Jason, both of us, we're going to be uh, on TV, but the digital end of TV. So, um, you know, anybody, wherever you're listening right now, by the way, you can watch our coverage. We're going to be covering it all the way from the big picture of the United States all the way down to the county level in Texas. Uh, and we're going to be streaming that at WFAA.com and also uh, on our YouTube page. Look for WFAA on YouTube. Uh, and you can catch our coverage there. And then we are going to attempt, I think, maybe, perhaps, uh, is that enough uh, disclaimers <laughs> there, uh, uh, that uh, maybe we will do another podcast tomorrow night, just depending on you know whether we actually know stuff. Yeah, so bring a good beer tomorrow night, Jason. I'm going well, to have to. Can we bring a beer a to the, into the studio? I don't know. Uh, e- either way, though. Join us tomorrow night. Hope you I've done hope that. you can be I here. I have brought it into the studio before, so I think. Oh, we're good! You, you, wow, you drink in the studio. Join us tomorrow no, night no. at wfaa.com for our election coverage uh, there, and uh, we hope you can uh, download a, uh, another episode if we can get to it, depending on how the night goes. Uh, first thing Wednesday morning. Everybody, stay safe. Make your voices count, and we'll uh, talk to you again maybe tomorrow. <laughs>